Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today, I'm joined by Cliff Wilson, who is a pro natural bodybuilder and one of the most famous natural bodybuilding coaches out there. So thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for taking the time. So today's going to be a really fun one. We're going to be doing a deep dive on peak week. So quickly prefacing, this is going to be a conversation geared towards the advanced bodybuilder and someone who really wants to get the most out of their competitive season. So yeah, this has been, it's been great to, you know, follow your content and come around now to actually having you on the show, Cliff. And I was thinking we could Talk about just a broad overview of the different techniques that you like to use in terms of peak week strategies, and then we can get into the nuts and bolts of the different variables of how to run them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with when it comes to peak week, I think one thing that for those that aren't familiar with the concept or only, you know, uh, passively familiar, um, it's what you do in the final week to get yourself ready for a contest to make sure that you bring your best look into show day. And, um, you know, when I first started coaching, it's been about 12, 13, 12 years ago now, geez, you can believe that, uh, <laughs> about 12 years ago, um, there wasn't a lot of information available publicly about peak week. Most of what people were doing for peak week was, um, heard secondhand information about some guy they knew or mm-hmm. another guy that he knew, uh, what they were doing. It's like, Hey, I know, you know. I, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows Mr. Illinois, and this is what he <laughs> did for his peak week. <laughs> and so, um, you know, in the last 12 years now, there's quite a bit more information to find that, that information out. Um, and so when I, when I've even tried to put out my own information on peak week, I try to give things names just so, um, cause there was not a lot of effective terminology regarding peak week. Um, and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, some of my, but some of the methods that I use, uh, the, the old school method used to be you would deplete carbohydrates for about three days, and then you would load carbohydrates for about three days mm-hmm. um, in an effort for uh, to achieve glycogen supercompensation. Um, and you, the old school method also had you um, uh, reducing sodium, like almost pretty much completely cutting out sodium uh, in the final few days, loading up on potassium and cutting water. Um, it usually ended in disaster for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. um, and parts of it, I would say were correct. Uh, but then some parts were horribly wrong and that's where, you know, of course it would end in disaster. Um, that that's kind of just a typical glycogen deplete loading uh, what's referred to as a backload method so the methods that i tend to use and quite a few and depending on the person i'm working with and the situation that they're in you know i try to i try to have a lot of different tools in the tool bag depending on who i'm working with um but some of the methods that are my favorite to use um I really enjoy, um, I do enjoy a version of the backload that I just described to you where we'll do a deplete and then maybe a, uh, three day load. Um, I like mm-hmm. a version of that, but I change. I don't do exactly those variables because like I said, it usually ends in disaster, but, um, I, I do enjoy a backload peak. Um, uh, I enjoy one that is like a slow, a slow load, which is essentially a slow loading backload where I will deplete somebody for a period of time. And then rather than loading them all up over three days, I will build their 
carbohydrates up probably over the course of maybe five to seven days. Slow, so I'm slowly loading them up. It's a much more subtle approach. Um, I'll also do another one that I call a rapid backload, uh, where I will deplete them for four to maybe five days and then load all the carbohydrates at one time. And um, another one that I like to do is a backload with a cleanup day where um, I will, and I can do the backload or a slow backload where I'll build it up slowly. But essentially, I hit their highest carbohydrate intake on, the show's on Saturday, I'll hit the highest intake on Thursday. And then on Friday, I will taper the carbohydrates down. That's the cleanup day is when I pull it down and then go into show day on Saturday. So though, I would say those are my most used methods of, of peaking people. Um, not to say I never do anything different, but those are the, my, probably my most go-to ones. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool to hear that even with peak week, there are lots of different ways of going about it. And a lot of this will depend on the athlete and where they're at specifically and what they need to work on. In terms of just broad overview for people, I think this is something that often gets messed up where, you know, people put a lot of stock in peak week or yeah, as you mentioned, people have these crazy traditional, you know, ideas where I feel like one of the most common things I get asked about as a bodybuilder when, when someone's like a, a lay person is just like, Oh, you're a bodybuilder. Like, Oh, so that means, you know, you, you stop drinking water for a week or like they always bring yeah. up something like that. I'm just like, yeah, no. So yeah, maybe if you could just, briefly touch on you know the goals of peak week and how important it is yeah um and so i will say that peak weeks will differ significantly uh, not significantly but they will vary to a degree um especially also so the, the cutting water aspect kind of even got started because it was coming largely from enhanced bodybuilders yeah one thing i will say is that enhanced bodybuilders can benefit from not completely dehydrating themselves, but tapering their water a little bit. Um, that's where, that's where that got started. And then natural bodybuilders started doing the same thing with just disastrous results. Um, so the biggest thing that you want to accomplish during a peak week is um, you want to be as full as possible and as tight as possible. And so then you get into how do you achieve being full and achieve being tight? Um, uh, so for those that don't realize, uh, when we consume carbohydrates, the carbohydrates, uh, get converted to glucose within our body. And then that glucose gets, uh, stored in the muscle tissue. And, uh, anybody who's ever trained a little bit, or, you know, led an active fitness life will tell you that, you know, after you eat a big carbohydrate meal or a big refeed, um, you look bigger. And that's because those carbohydrates get stored inside the muscle tissue as glycogen. Um, and, uh, the following along with that glycogen is a lot of water. Um, and so, you know, for, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, it's just water. And I'm like, yeah, but it makes you look so much bigger, um, which is important on show day. You want to look as big as you possibly can for a bodybuilding show. Um, so one, you want to be as full as possible by eating and enough of them, but not too much. Uh, because what happens is that if you eat more carbohydrates than your muscle tissue can store, then it's going to spill out of the muscle tissue, float around underneath the skin and in the, in the interstitial spaces, and it will draw water to it. Um, and the other thing that you also want to make sure is um, we want water, we 
when it's stored in the right places. That's honestly the that, mm-hmm. that's honestly what this whole thing is about, really, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people think the goal is to get all the water out of your body. Um, phrases like he was holding water, you know, make people confused. We don't want to get all of the water um, out of the body. We want to get as much of the water into the muscle tissue as we can while getting as much of the water from out from underneath the skin and you know other tools we have with that so one that's making sure we consume the appropriate amount of carbohydrates you know we got to use the goldilocks method it's just got to be just right you can't have too little or too much Mm -hmm. and then uh we have to make sure that our sodium and potassium are within proper ratios and loaded properly and then um with our water intake for natural competitors honestly water intake is so easy it's like just consume enough water consistently over the course of the week. and Don't mess with it. Mm-hmm. Um, for enhanced competitors, it gets a little bit more tricky. Um, when I say enhanced competitors, those are competitors that are using performance enhancing drugs uh, in the non-tested shows. For those, you want to make sure that you can, uh, you usually need to reduce water and how far you need to reduce it will depend on the person. Yeah, no, great point. And yeah, it's, I think it's good to sort of, start this off by saying that we'll be talking about naturals here and because yeah there are differences and yeah I'll 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 tailor all my stuff towards naturals from here on out but I wanted to at least mention that there would be differences in what I would advise depending on if someone's natural versus enhanced Mm -hmm. yeah for sure and yeah water is a it's a it's it's good that at least one variable is easy you know so you don't need to worry too much about yeah it's funny it's like the easiest one but it's still the one that I would say people mess up so commonly so it's like yeah just set a high water intake leave it there and then forget about it (laughs) yeah yeah so and yeah in terms of going about these i was thinking maybe we could take it one strategy at a time and you know just getting really into it maybe starting off with what you would consider to be you know i guess the simplest to run like the easiest to run for maybe someone who hasn't done very much before um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I would say the simplest one would be, uh, I like the slow, slow backloading, the slow, the slow mm-hmm. backloading approach. Um, I like this one because it's also the most, most versatile. Um, I think it works from bikini competitors all the way to bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I also like using this one, um, I use this one frequently the first time that I peak someone, uh, because, it has the advantage of letting me watch their body change in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I mean by that is I can run a deplete uh, of carbohydrates. And the reason you run a deplete is because it will deplete the glycogen storage within the muscle tissue. And when that happens, when you deplete uh, glycogen from the muscle tissue, your body will actually create more storage space to store more carbohydrates. Um, so I'll usually run a deplete. And then I slowly start building the carbohydrates up over the course of maybe five days or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantage of going slower is twofold. One, uh, going slower, I can see exactly how their body is changing each day. Um, how much are they tightening up? And um, since I'm going slower, um, there is more room to have error. And when I say, you know, <sighs> not that you ever count on anything going wrong on peak week but it's not like uh it never happens and so one thing that is it uh, advantageous with the slow backload is that um say i begin on monday with the show being on saturday i begin 
bringing carbohydrates up, up, up. And I get to Friday morning, right? I reached a peak of, I, I, I was, I reached a peak on Thursday where I gave them quite a few carbs and I plan to Friday, give them even more because I'm going to slow load all the way up into the show. But let's say my, they wake up Friday morning and you're like, oh, well, they don't look as sharp. Um, they maybe have consumed too many carbohydrates or we are at our limit. The advantage of you can turn a slow load easily into a cleanup day with the Friday. So all you need to do is drop carbohydrates down and tighten them back up again. Um, because usually if they are a little bit blurry come Friday or even Thursday or whatever, um, then usually they're not very spilled because you've been taking a very slow approach. Um, you shouldn't be massively feeding them from one day to the next. Um, so it's very versatile. So that's why I actually re recommend that beginners do it. And then the other thing too, is if you get to Wednesday or Thursday and you're like, you know, if you're a newer competitor and you're like, wow, I look great here on Wednesday or Thursday, you can also decide to just stay there and not continue to bring carbohydrates up. You can just flatten them out for the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's just so much versatility in a, um, in a slow backload. Um, my preferences for using a slow backload. I love using it for bikini competitors. Um, most notably because um, bikini competitors with bodybuilders, the fullest look is almost, not always, but almost always the best look with bodybuilders. Um, but bikini competitors, the fullest look is not always the best look. So in, I can watch their physique change in lifetime and I can see do they, where do they look best in this curve from flat all the way to full. Um, and then I can, once I see my, the perfect look that I like for them, I can hold them. So I love it for bikini competitors. I like it. I like it a lot for bodybuilders. Um, and I like it for bodybuilders that, um, to get into discussing the peak weeks, I need to also discuss carbohydrate assimilation. Hmm. Um, and what I, what I mean by that is, um, from the time someone consumes carbohydrates, it needs to digest it needs to get taken up into the bloodstream, uh, sent to the muscle. And then the, the thing is not everybody instantly, first off, some people's digestive systems just work faster than others. Um, the other mm -hmm. thing that is a consideration is that um, some people's muscle tissue and what takes up carbohydrates much more efficiently than other people's. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I apologize if I'm throwing too much information here, but, uh, with, um, so, uh, there's also a term that I created. Um, I had never heard anybody talk about this before, but it had been something early on that I had noticed where when I begin loading carbohydrates with somebody, um, the effect that it has can vary wildly from person to person. Um, so like they look different, you know, person a may look very different, uh, the first 24 hours of me loading them versus person B. Mm. And um, I started calling this the load look. <laughs> mm -hmm. Each person has a different load look. And what I suspect is happening here um, is that person A, I start loading them, right? And they start looking tight almost immediately within a, you know, within a few hours. Person B, I load them and they almost look blurry at first. And then they look tight later on. Mm -hmm. um, 
what I suspect is happening is that person A probably has really efficient glycogen assimilation. Their body eats it, adjusts very quickly, it gets transported quickly, and then it gets taken up by the muscle very quickly. Um, so, you know, very little lag time from consumption to looking great, right? Person B with the softer load look, that they are eating, um, it's possible that they aren't digesting, that maybe they don't digest things very efficiently. So maybe they're getting a little bit of bloating there. Um, it's possible that even after they digest it, there's this transient period between it getting delivered. Um, so it gets delivered to the muscle tissue. And then um, before getting taken up by the muscle, I suspect that the glucose is floating around in the interstitial spaces for a period of time. And what, what happens is water follows glucose wherever it goes. Um, so that's why this person, maybe they haven't filled just that there's not been enough time for that glucose to get its way into the muscle tissue. Um, so anyway, getting back to this thing about the slow backload, um, the advantage for a slow, a softer load look person is that when you're building them up, you're not hitting them with all these carbohydrates all at once. And so um, you get a much more accurate gauge of how they are looking as you are loading. Um, and you don't need to um, wonder, is this going to clean up later? You know, it's, it, it will be cleaning up at a much better steady pace, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's really interesting about the load look and it's something that, yeah, you got to kind of figure out for that individual in terms yeah, of, it, 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 it's really tricky. I mean, a lot of what we talk about in peak week is tricky because, um, there's not a lot of research on peak week. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of what I discuss is pieced together through experience. And then you start to say, it, you almost have to work from the opposite end of you say you try something and then you say, well, this works. Why does it work? <laughs> or this doesn't work. Possibly why doesn't it work? And then you start to like give up. You start to throw out, you know, certain hypotheses about what may be happening, you know, <laughs> and why if something doesn't, doesn't work. Cause there's a lot of things that um, I think people over the years have, theorize will work and then it just doesn't at all um and so you know I, I try to always give when i give something that i know works um i try to always at least give a possible reason why i think it's working mm -hmm. yeah no that's great and in terms of depletion i can see how you know depletion also would give you the advantage of kind of just starting from a blank slate or just a consistent starting point what's your protocol for depleting someone um, depletion is, so depletion is interesting to me, um, because, uh, it, it's almost as if no matter how lean somebody is now, this is something I'm not even totally sure why I have a few ideas, but, um, when you deplete somebody, um, I don't usually deplete, deplete bikini competitors because they go for a less extreme look. But it's almost as if the the thin skin look, the tight look that is achieved through depletion cannot be achieved any other way. Um, 
I don't know exactly what it is. I think I, I have some ideas um, for why it is, but um, I do think it's a good idea to deplete somebody that is in bodybuilding, you know, men's physique, women's physique, where being very lean does matter. Um, the protocol is really, so it can go one of two ways. If you have a competitor that is as lean as they should be, right? Um, they shouldn't get any leaner. Uh, I will do a carbohydrate deplete, but not a calorie deplete. Um, so I may continue to have them at the calories they've been dieting on, or I may even bump them up, but I reduce their carbohydrates down very low while increasing um, fats in particular and increasing their protein. So calories stay the same. I just adjust the ratio to try to deplete their glycogen levels. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody needs to get a little bit leaner, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not usually more than a couple pounds. If you've left yourself more than a couple pounds, then you're in trouble. Um, but, uh, what I'll do is I'll lower calories a little bit from their dieting point, of course, reduce most of that from carbohydrates. And I try to keep, um, most of the deplete to, uh, fibrous vegetables, um, because I don't want anything that's going to convert to glucose. And even sometimes I get, uh, I get a little stingy about having people consume too much protein because too much protein can even be converted to glucose as well. Um, mm. so uh, sometimes I, I don't want protein to go too high in that regard. Um, so that's pretty much the protocol, but where the calories will be set will depend on what the person's been dieting on. Uh, for cardio, I'll set it at maybe just a little bit higher than what they've been doing during their prep. Um, unless if they don't need to lose any weight, then I'll keep it about right where they've been prep. Um, but you know, like I said, fibrous vegetables, uh, as primary carb sources, um, usually anywhere from 30 to 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates for the day, almost all vegetable sources. And then the fats and proteins suit to your cal caloric needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, sounds good. And then, yeah, this is probably also a good time to kind of bring in, you know, sodium and potassium. How do you like to think of those? So sodium and potassium, I would say are, they are less important than getting your carbohydrate intake correct. Mm -hmm. But um, as the years have gone on, uh, even in the last four years or so, I think that they are more important or you can create a bigger change than I originally thought. Hmm. Uh, and so, as I said, in the old school method um, of sodium and potassium adjustment, generally you would deplete sodium and load up on potassium. Hmm. Um, I see why somebody thought that was a good idea. <laughs> um, the hmm. gist of it being most sources, most uh, compartments where sodium is held within the body are extracellular compartments. Um, it's, of course, very prevalent within blood. Mm -hmm. um, it's found heavily in interstitial spaces, which is where we don't want. It's not in the muscle tissue. So somebody saw that, right? And they're like, oh my God, we have all this sodium. And another thing you can keep in mind, water's gonna follow you. Water's gonna follow everything. Water's gonna follow carbohydrates. Water's gonna follow sodium. Water's gonna follow potassium. Mm -hmm. And so the original idea being you deplete sodium, right? And then you'll get less water in the interstitial spaces. So then they're thinking, okay, potassium. Potassium is found largely in the intracellular compartment. They're like, oh, great. You know, we load up on potassium and we'll 
push all this water inside the muscle and we deplete sodium and you know we'll have nothing on the outside but it doesn't you know it doesn't work like that like that i feel like somebody read that not reading any other physiology physiology going on there um the problem with that is that um you can actually uh accidentally spill yourself <laughs> mm-hmm. um by doing that because um sodium and potassium work in tandem to control water in uh water flow in and out of the cells um so it is true that potassium is found largely inside the muscle tissue sodium is found outside but one thing that's problematic so they, there's a there's a mechanism called the sodium potassium pump and what happens is that you need both sodium and potassium for them to get exchanged across the membrane mm. of the cell and so what happens is if somebody completely cuts out sodium and they're loading up on potassium, the issue that you run into is that none of the potassium can make it into the cell without sodium. Uh, so you end up a little bit flat, right? Because now you don't have any potassium inside the cell. And then to make matters worse, potassium can't make it inside the cell. So what's happening is it's building up outside. And of course, what follows is water. So if you, a lot of times, if you completely restrict your sodium and you really load up on potassium, you will be both flat and spilled at the exact same time, which is like a nightmare situation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, So, um, so that's why you don't want to um, cut that out and then load up. Here's the tricky part where I wish I could be more specific is that in my opinion, Sodium and potassium ha- can just vary so wildly from person to person in terms of what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I wrote my book um, on, on contest prep, one of the mm-hmm. biggest complaints I got on the peak week section was people asking, like, why are the ranges of sodium and potassium so wide? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because it's like, these are the ranges that I may use. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, but, um, generally what I I would recommend to most people is to, if you're not, if you're not very experienced, I would recommend when you're eating your normal contest prep diet, if you're going to prep yourself, if you're eating your normal contest prep diet, add up your sodium, measure what you put onto your food, measure what's already in your food, get your sodium, your daily sodium intake, and then get your daily potassium intake, measure what's in your food, or if you put on a, you know, something like more light salt has potassium, measure what goes on your food. And then at least you get your baseline. Um, some of my most educational days about peak week were me being completely a crazy person and logging my sodium and potassium changes. And I would like, you know, I would up things a little bit and I would reduce and I would up the potassium and I would reduce and I would just watch the changes in my body from day to day. Um, and you really learn a lot by doing that. Um, but I would say usually uh, I would like them to be pretty significantly higher than potassium. Uh, I, I've seen really good results with even like a five to one five to three ratio of sodium to potassium in that range somewhere um 
but once again, it can just vary so, so significantly. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, getting down to individuals and this would probably take too long, but there's even difference in how, I guess the thing that I've really come across in the last three, four years is that it even makes a difference in how the sodium and potassium are adjusted from person to person. Um, so like when you load this, load the potassium or when you increase sodium will matter too. So, um, you know, I, I wish I could give more precise variables on that, but it would probably take us like four hours to get into all of it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I would tell people tinker with it. And if you're unsure, um, only tinker with it mildly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe in like a slow load scenario, like what you're talking about, how would you vary your electrolytes? Um, so in that situation, it will depend on the person. I will usually have the person get a baseline sodium reading for me. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the, what we see in that baseline sodium intake reading will vary significantly. Um, I, if you're a coach, I would actually recommend asking your clients to get a baseline or if you're prepping yourself, get a baseline sodium intake maybe eight weeks out because there have been situations where we're eight weeks out and I see somebody and they're like, man, we need, I'm like, we need to lose about eight pounds. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, add up your sodium for me. And then they add up their sodium and they're like getting like 12,000 milligrams a day. Um, <laughs> happens way more often than you think. And then I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of sodium. So we cut them down to a 5,000, I come down to 5,000 and what do you know? They drop like six pounds of water weight <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, we're like show ready already, you know? So, um, it happens more often than you think, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, there's, a, there's been a switch to, um, where I think that like for the longest time, sodium was bad for bodybuilders going into a show. And now I think the natural realm is like, people realize it's not bad for you because it does help you get a pump but it's almost gone too far the other way where there's like, there's no limits to how much sodium <laughs> is good for you. Um, rarely, rarely do I see anybody consuming over 3,500 milligrams male, uh, maybe 3,000 milligrams female and not be made blurry by it. Mm. Um, uh, or at least cons consistently. That doesn't mean you're going to get blurry from a single day of that. But if you're consistently consuming, you know, 3,500, 4,000 milligrams, uh, my guess is that you will get sharper by reducing it a little bit. Um, but usually uh, it depends on the person. It, it, this is where, unfortunately, I wish I could give you an exact answer. Um, depending on the person and what I have seen over the course of their contest prep, um, or the experiments I've done with them, you know, their carbohydrates are going to be coming up. Some people will look better with sodium actively coming up. Mm -hmm. Some people will look good starting high and then reducing low. Mm -hmm. Um, this is where you just really need to know your body a little bit. Um, potassium. I do think it's good to consume higher amounts of potassium because once again, it is found in the muscle tissue. But another thing that I found even more recently within the last few years is that getting that potassium storage in earlier is better than later. Um, I find people look better if you keep potassium a little bit higher and then maybe uh, reduce it down a little bit on maybe the day before the show a little bit. So it's, it's tricky. It's real tricky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I, I would play around with your sodium. It's a small, it's a smaller variable than the carbohydrates, but I do think you can do quite a bit with it.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's the interesting thing about peak week. And it's cool to hear that you've kind of been shaping your observations, you know, even over the last few years where it's just kind of this multivariable equation that yeah, it's, it's really hard to predict for any one person because we're all different uh, in terms of our physiology and, and it's hard to be crystal clear on exactly what's going on. Yeah, you, you know what's, um, one thing I will say, so sometimes, I'm doing this 12 years now, sometimes uh, people will say like, how do you know that this is going to work? And you know, that you never know for a fact because you don't you know especially the first time you're prepping somebody and it's like okay yeah you learn things always constantly but um i have a big advantage compared to somebody that's prepping themselves for the first time mm-hmm. in that i have prepped and peaked so many people over the years there is such an advantage to getting so much practice and then also i've worked with so many different demographics um and there really is similarities between people of course like there's always outliers but um uh for example and this is like a little bit of a side note but one thing i always noticed when i first got into coaching is that i noticed most white coaches had great looking white clients and then their black clients did not look good Mm. and most black coaches had great looking black clients and then their black their white clients did not look good and you know why because they knew what worked for themselves yeah they tried to apply it worked for the people that were more genetically similar to themselves and then it was total disaster time for those who were uh, not as similar and um and so it's very interesting where as i go through somebody and peaking somebody um i can you know, not even, so I don't even break it down into, I mean, of course, like race, gender fall into it, but also like body type and structure and stuff like that. And now I'm pretty fortunate where I'm like, I can peek somebody and I can be like, man, this person looks and their prep was very similar to this person that I worked with five years ago. And I can go into my notes from that person five years ago and what worked for them and what didn't. So then I get to kind of like piggyback on the work I've already done. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I would say if you're, if you're coaching yourself, take meticulous notes about the changes you see. And if you're coaching other people, make, take meticulous notes of the other people you're coaching because, um, because when the next time you coach somebody similar to that person, that work crossed over a little bit, that foundation that's been laid. And then you can, further your knowledge by trying slightly different things or new things that are an offshoot of that original work you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's great to be hearing from you, Cliff, because you have so much experience. So yeah, I appreciate it. In term, I guess moving on in terms of our strategies here, kind of what would be the next one you would bring up? Um, <clears throat> I do like, so kind of piggybacking off of the slow backload, the slow backload and the cleanup day or the backload either way. Mm. Um, I'll still do a deplete and I'll do anywhere from five to three to five days of a load. And then I'll purposefully schedule in a cleanup day. Um, I will do this specifically for the people that I've identified as having a soft load look. Um, If I know somebody has a soft load look, they're going to get blurry as I load them. Then I definitely need to schedule in a cleanup day. Mm. Um, So it could look something like, 
you know, Monday, I'm just throwing yeah. out yeah, example yeah. numbers here, but you know, mo- we could end, end the deplete Sunday and then Monday, you know, maybe they take in 150 grams of carbohydrates mm-hmm. and then Tuesday, 225, uh, Wednesday, 300, Thursday, 400. Um, so I know that after that 400, even if they haven't consumed too many, they're going to be blurry. So then um, on Friday, the day before the show, I may drop that down all the way to like 200 again. Um, because that way they're just not going to have nearly as much glucose sitting underneath their skin. Um, and it could even go back down to 150. You know, it just depends on how I think they're looking on Friday. Um, sodium and potassium would be similar to what I explained where it, it will vary from person to person um, from whether it should spike up or taper down. But um, yeah, you build it up and then you drop it back down the day before the show. And then I usually try to keep it kind of low on the day of the show. Somebody that has a slow load look, you don't want to give them a lot of carbohydrates the day of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, and then would show day be kind of similar to your, you know, your, your cleanup day? Yeah. Um, show day, I, I tend to, um, regardless of the load that I've, I've done, I usually don't give anybody a lot, a lot of food on show okay. day. Um, in, in my, in my opinion, I think the loading should be done by show morning. Um, at least mostly, you know, if you need to do any loading on, on the show day, you know, get it done very early and it shouldn't need to be a lot. Yeah. Um, usually I feel like if I've done my peaking job perfectly, they are as full as they should be. And I will schedule calories to have them maybe eating every two hours or so. And it will be just enough to maintain. Um, light foods, you know, things like rice cakes and whatnot, just, just holding where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of triggers another thought I've been having in terms of, um, yeah. Are there any kind of variables you use throughout the prep to guess how, you know, to, to help you gauge how many carbs you're going to ultimately need to put into someone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so over the years I have gotten much better at just knowing, um, you know, yeah. I, I can see, I can see how, I can see how, uh, they react after their refeed days. And I will sometimes do tests. I'll say, Hey, take two refeed days in a row and then send me your pictures after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so sometimes if I'm unsure, I will kind of test refeed people or I'll say, Hey, we're going to, you know, consume 500 grams of carbohydrates today you know, message me, you know, send me pictures tomorrow and I can see, did they spill? If so, how much? Um, Mm -hmm. So those tests are useful. If you are a newer coach or you're prepping yourself, give yourself enough time to run these tests. Um, Once again, in the earlier parts of my coaching days, I was a total crazy person. I was, uh, I would do, I would do things like, um, so when you're newer to bodybuilding and newer to coaching, it can be very hard to identify looks um, what does a person, because not everybody's looks look the same. Like I said, yeah. some people's load look looks different. Um, what does flat look like? What does full and tight look like? What does full and spilled look like? Um, it's hard to identify. One thing I always, I always tell people is like, as a, as a, you know, a funny example is, um, you know, if I'm a doctor, a, a, a coma, someone that's dead look very similar from the outside, you know, but I've got to know, I've got to, I've got to know how to identify whether this person's in a coma or if they're dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, um, because how I will behave thereafter is very different. Um, and so it's the same way. Sometimes I'll see people that are um, spilled on show day and I'll hear them backstage and they're clearly spilled, but they're like, oh, I'm still flat, you know, because they don't see their veins popping out. They don't see their striations. They think they're flat. So then they're pounding food and then they're trying because they're trying to fill out but they've all they're making it worse because they've already spilled over um so what i would actually i love to see people doing i don't think enough people take the time enough is give yourself enough time um, one thing i used to do is that i would have people send me photos once we get into the final weeks you know six weeks or whatever when somebody's very close very lean um photos the day before their refeed day and i'll save it in their file and I'll label this as flat. And then I'll have them send it the day, uh, the day after their refeed day, you know? Uh, and then I can say, you know, spilled or, you know, full or whatever, whatever I think is the, okay. Then two days after the refeed day, <clears throat> you know, full, not spilled, or I'll purposefully spill them. You know, mm. I'll feed them over the course of three days and I will spill them on purpose mm. so I can take that picture and label it as spilled. Um, mm. And you get photos of different people's looks, right? Save it to their file with the label of, you know, how flat or spilled because you can actually know what that look looks like by, you know, if, you, if you're not worried about spilling them, you know, because you can spill them because it's not peak week, yeah. um, then you can play around with the looks and you can identify it. So then as you're peaking them, you compare it to the photos that you've already taken, you know, this is mm -hmm. how they look. Okay. They're still flat here. They're not spilled yet. You know, they, it looks like they're here. They might be getting close to spilled. Um, the more clients you do that with in the early stages of coaching or with yourself, um, you increase your knowledge dramatically because you're not relying on your memory, which can be faulty. Um, you're not relying on <clears throat> guessing, which is, you know, problematic in itself i mean we a lot of this is always educated guessing but the more educated your guesses can be the better right and so um think of this as giving yourself more more educated guesses <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no that's great and yeah i actually think this is kind of one ancillary benefit of doing refeeds which i think don't doesn't get that talked about a lot but you know it, it gives a bodybuilder an idea of what carbs will do to their physique and especially if you're running them regularly throughout prep, you will accumulate a lot of data. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that um, <clears throat> too often, I think people view their refeeds, you're, you're spot on. They view their refeeds as like this reprieve um, and they don't really treat it like the learning experience that it should be. There's so much mm -hmm. useful information from there. And, you know, like I said, <clears throat> for my clients that are listening, some of my clients are like, well, he hasn't asked me to do this. And I'm like, well, you know, like I said, I have so much experience. I don't have to do this to the degree that I used to. I only ask people to do that when I see somebody body acting what I'd view as unpredictable for what I would expect. Um, there are cases where I even still do that, if, you know, but um, in the early days, I was driving my clients crazy, asking them like, photos they're like geez cliff i haven't sent you photos they're like i've sent you photos every day for three weeks can i get a break and i'm like all right all right <laughs> yeah no good stuff okay yeah and moving on kind of what's the next strategy you'd bring up in terms of you know climbing the level of complexity i guess gotcha um uh the traditional backload 
Mm-hmm. Um, I usually will do a three or four day deplete um, and then maybe a three day load. Um, this one's much more aggressive, uh, much less room for error in this one. Um, one thing that I have found, and I don't like this for like bikini, this is probably going to be bodybuilding, men's physique, women's physique. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so one thing that I discovered, so when I first started coaching, front loads were very popular. And um, in the beginning of my coaching career, I was like, front loads, let's do it. You know, and I did a lot of front loads and front loads drove me crazy because what I noticed is first off, sometimes people would take refeeds, right? And then the day after the refeed, they'd be like, oh man, I look so great. You know, they do these massive refeeds and they look awesome. Or you'd do a front load where you would load carbohydrates at the beginning of the week and then you'd taper down into the show. Um, but then like people would look awesome after their front load. And it's like, couldn't quite recapture that magic at the mm. beginning of the week. Yeah. <clears throat> and so um, what I started to identify is that carbohydrates actively coming up look you know carbohydrate being loaded as they're actively coming up tend to look much better Hmm. than if it is loaded and then tapered down so um the the idea being that okay let's say this point at the end of the week is the point we want to get where you are full as full as you can possibly be with glycogen without spilling right this Mm -hmm. is the point so the idea being with a with a more backload style that i've all been describing is like i come up to that point The idea behind the front load is that you, you spill a little bit and then you come down to that point. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And it sounds good in theory that as long as you end up at this point, it doesn't really matter the route that you take. Um, But the interesting thing is that I found early on is that it does matter the route Mm -hmm. that you take. Mm -hmm. Um, My theory behind this, my, my idea is that um, most Things within our body have a compensation mechanism. Um, like I described the, the super compensation, you deplete glycogen, what happens? Your body creates more storage space to hold more. Um, <clears throat> there is, uh, I, I have some, some feeling that some of that also happens with potassium as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I expect that it just happens with intramuscular and intracellular water as well. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that if you're coming from a very flat point and you, you know, come up here on a front load, um, you're full, right. And you've hit this, you've taken advantage of some compensation mechanism, which then dwindles as the week goes on. Does that make sense? Whereas when you're coming up, you're taking advantage of this interest muscular, you know, uh, compensation of water and, you know, potassium and all this good stuff. So I think that's probably what's going on. So <clears throat> the thing I've also noticed is that people look fuller the more aggressively the carbohydrates are coming out. Hmm. Um, so uh, I like this one. If you know what you're doing, the backload, I like it for bodybuilders, you know, men's physique, women's physique, um, because um, you can achieve a fuller look by doing the deplete and then bringing carbohydrates up much more quickly to that full point um once again i suspect it's because you're not dwindling that compensation mechanism i don't know that for a fact but i really suspect that's what's going on um the problem being that if you are loading everything in three days you really have to know 
attributes you should load. Uh, <clears throat> I'd strongly recommend a test. You have never done this before. Test it out. Um, but, and once again, sodium, potassium can run many variable ways like I discussed, but the three-day deplete, three to four-day deplete followed by a three-day load does work very well in making people look very full, very tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's interesting how you kind of talk about the, yeah, like possible compensation strategies or other thoughts. And yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that you're kind of, you know, airing out your thoughts, but uh, yeah, also, you know, making it clear that we're not like 100% sure of the, of the data on this. And I mean, some of this, we, we may never be, you know, like in terms of evidence-based, a lot of it will have to come down to experience and, and just kind of who you've coached and uh, who your athlete is. Uh, one, one question that comes up is let's say someone's been running different strategies. Like let's say they were doing a slow, more slow load. And then they're switching to like, like one of these backload methods. Does the total number of carbs change a lot? Like, is there, is it, is there, a, is there a similar, is there a similarity in terms of the total amount you think they're putting in? Um, I think it changes a lot because there's a few different other variables. One, you got to consider how much are they burning on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So um, what somebody's consuming over three days, you can't just spread it over five days because they're also burning more over the course of five days than three yeah. days. So there's that factor. Um, the other thing that's to make it even trickier is that I think that um, <clears throat> sometimes people want, want a formula from me for carbohydrate loading. You know, how much do you load someone on, you know, per, per kilograms of body weight? And it doesn't work that way yeah. because also uh, one thing I've really identified is that some people's uh, metabolic rates are much more adaptive than yeah. others. Um, some people, when you begin loading them, like they just start chewing through the carbohydrates at an alarming rate whereas other people uh, they do not um i can always know telltale signs um first off people they start eating and they're like oh i'm sluggish i just want to lay here and do nothing yeah and then other people other people you know so they're not going to probably burn other people they start eating and they're like man i feel good you know <laughs> yeah, they're talking mean. like crazy yeah <laughs> And then, um, then, you know, I can even find out if somebody's really adaptive where some people, they eat and they're like hot and sweaty in an hour. You know what I mean? Like they eat a big carbohydrate meal and they're like, oh, I'm sweating and I'm so hot. Um, you know, these people, clearly they have a high thermic effect. You know what I mean? Like their body's chewing through a lot of calories, just digesting this meal they just ate. Um, you know, and so uh, that's where, you know, it, it comes into play. So, um for example, if you're doing a shorter load, um, there's less time for somebody's body to adapt to what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do a longer load, there's more time to adapt. So it doesn't always, it's not always a, you know, one-to-one -one ratio of where the carbohydrate will go. It can vary depending on the person you're working with. Um, <clears throat> so that's where experience definitely comes into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, in terms of shortening things up in terms of time scales, that brings us to the rapid backload, which I think you're pretty yeah. well known for. And a lot of people will be curious about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the regular backload, and one thing I'll say with the regular backload is the problem that run the risk is that usually about the time people would spill, they've messed up. Uh, usually they're going to notice it by, let's say, midday the day before hmm. so it's like there's not in a regular backload you know the three-day backload yeah um 
which is not a lot of time to course correct you've realized you've messed up. So that's why I tell people to practice if you're going to do the three-day backload. Um, so, you know, there's not a lot of time to course correct if you start spilling mid midday Friday. Um, so that's where the danger, like I say, there's some less margin of error. So the rapid backload <clears throat> is something that I am super, I've become pretty well known before um, because um, I think this is, you know, this is one that I, I, I know I definitely, um, you know, I, I came up with, Jeez, like 10 years ago now. Um, so I, I told you I used to do a front load and then I was like, I hate the results I'm getting from the front load. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I mean, they weren't bad, but I just, it was, it was pissing me off because I kept <laughs> seeing like, I knew it could be better. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and interestingly enough, I, I, people were still like, oh man, your peak weeks are going so well when I was doing the front load. And I was like, no, damn it. They can be better. Like, you know, it, so so then I, I switched to the more backload method, but with proper water, sodium, potassium manipulation. And it worked really well, right? Because I was loading people on three days. Um, and then I started putting it together about better, the shorter the load time. Um, hmm. <clears throat> so then I tried a two-day load. And I was like, oh, I like this one even a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> And then, uh, so then I was like, what happens if I just load it all in one day? <laughs> uh, but luckily I had a client that was near show ready and he let me just run a test on him. And, um, generous. you know, yeah, it, but I, he, he wasn't, at, he, we didn't test it for the show. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were before, but he let me test it. Um, the early days, there were things that I definitely needed to change, but you know, I, I was pretty, I was lucky because I wonder if I would have abandoned it if I had done it poorly but i didn't the first one out of the gate i did not do it poorly i did it well mm -hmm. and he woke up that morning and we were like god these results look great like he was very full mm -hmm. and not spilled and so um i was like all right let's give it a roll you know um and i started using it that whole season uh in 2012 was when i started using it and <clears throat> i remember i brought a whole I brought a whole group of bodybuilders into that season, like the very first show in 2012. And I had like, I had like four guys compete at one show and they all rapid backloaded. And I remember backstage, people were like, oh, you ate 1100 grams of carbohydrates <laughs> yesterday. You know, like I, 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 and it's kind of funny. This is like before I even really had much of a Facebook or there was no Instagram. And, um, and so it, it's funny, but so yeah, I'll usually give anywhere from, I'll give anywhere from probably 500 grams of carbohydrates up to 800 grams mm -hmm. um, in the day before the show. Uh, males, anywhere from maybe 700 to 1200. There's been a few instances yeah. where I've gone to, I've gone to 1300, 1400 a few times. I wasn't as crazy about the look um, that I got with those they were okay, but generally I've kind of set myself a rule now. If I'm going to go above 1200, I'm probably not going to, not going to go with it. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, they're, they're super full, but then I feel like we sacrifice just a little bit of crispness, which I'm not usually not okay with. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I will deplete them for about four days and then I will load them one day, the day before the show. And then once again, on the day of the show, I try to keep food very minimal. Um, 
the things that are tricky about the one day load is you have to know exactly how many carbohydrates you can handle. Um, and the other thing is sodium and potassium on that day become a little more crucial. Um, I will do something a little bit different with sodium and potassium. Hmm. I will actually deplete potassium during the deplete phase with, um, with people on the rapid backload. Once again, playing to that idea that there is a compensation method. Um, you know, I've, I've suspected that there's a potassium, you know, super compensation going on. And the adjustments I've made have not, at least not proven me wrong. <laughs> yet. So I'll mm-hmm. deplete and then I will load potassium at the beginning of the show. Um, usually just a ton of potatoes. <laughs> um, nice. And then um, sodium stays pretty high throughout the week. And then the day of the show, I may just, the day before, the day of the load, I may just bump it up a little bit. So, um, you know, if we're looking at this is the end of the week, uh, potassium comes up, goes up really high, and then drops back down. Hmm. And um, sodium, as potassium's down here, sodium will just come up a little bit like that. Um, I don't fully know why that seems to work well for most people, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I suspect that there's just a compensation method with that potassium and then, uh, carbohydrates. I'll, uh, and then the other thing that's uh, a factor is that you do have to realize the other thing that's a factor is that even with somebody that has, um, a hard load look, um, usually they will start looking a little bit blurry midday on Friday, the day before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also scares people off because like midday they start getting a little blur- blurry and then they're like. Oh God, I'm starting to spill. And then they back off. And what was happening is that you weren't spilling. It just wasn't getting in there yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. Somebody wants to attempt the rapid backload. Practice it, <laughs> please practice it. And, um, and be certain of what you're doing because it is the one that has um, the least grace for, a mar- you know, for error. Um, by the time you realize you've made an error in the rapid backload, it is too late. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, uh, it it is probably for bodybuilders. It is the peak that I use most mm-hmm. um, because I find that knowing how the variables work, I can actually create the most consistent look in my experience. Um, but once again, I think that um, it's just because I've tinkered with the variables to to practically an obsessive amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great peak, but um, I don't want to go out there and be like, yeah, everybody should be doing it. I, I think there really needs to be a, a a strong learning period before you start un- unleashing it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's just crazy hearing those kinds of numbers in terms of carbs, you know, like I can imagine eating 1200 grams of carbs in a day would just be, you know, oppressive. Uh, what kind of food sources do you like using kind of during these load periods in terms of, you know, carbs and then also for say potassium and yeah, just for sodium, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of the load, I prefer to use similar foods for everybody unless they have like a gi issue or something like that Mm -hmm. um or an allergy or something um the reason is that each food that i like tends to have a purpose to it i like potato potatoes because it's carbs plus potassium 
right? So that's that's my, you know, different tools in the tool bag. I have my carb, potassium, food. Um, I like rice cakes. Um, I like the no salt, low salt ones because that's just carbs. Yeah. No, or or I'll use jasmine rice, but no carbs, no uh, carbohydrates, no potassium, no sodium. Uh, I like Cheerios because they are carbohydrates with some sodium, some potassium, low amounts, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I do like Gatorade for fast carbohydrates, and they do have some electrolytes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm missing one. Um, Oh, and then I'll just use table salt for added sodium. So, um, you know, I've, I got way, I have ways to add carbohydrates with whatever electrolyte I may be needing at the time. And I try to, and even like something like with uh, fats, a lot of people like to use, you know, peanut butter, almond butter and stuff like that. But I don't, I usually like to use something like olive oil um, because I try to pick foods that give me exactly what I want and yeah. nothing else. Does that make sense? Um, and so um, those Science. foods, you know, yeah, I, I don't want, you know, I, I, sometimes people are like, well, can I have peanut butter? I'm like, you've gone months without just pounding peanut butter, you know, like stick with me one more week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I, the olive oil is, it's more effective in terms of just giving me what I want if I need to bump up fats. Um, in the first early days of the rapid backload, um, before I used Cheerios, I used oatmeal. And Ooh. everybody's like, oh, I'm so full. <laughs> yeah. Potatoes and oatmeal, trying to get a thousand grams of carbs. They're like sitting in my stomach. It still worked. Like they looked good, but it felt horrible. So I switched to Cheerios. And then I like those foods also because they transport easily. Uh, they don't require refrigeration. Um, they usually don't even require like their own container. Like people can just bring their bag of rice cakes or their um, they can bring the box of Cheerios and just scoop it out. And then, you know, I, I just have them, you know, just eat it, eat a cup worth or whatever. Um, and so it's, uh, I try to think of what makes my clients travel less stressful too with those foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And yeah, I like how you kind of think of things in terms of each food, having a specific purpose, because then you can really manipulate things with, you know, with intent. Yes. Yeah. It's tools, you know, tools in a tool bag and, um, you know, I think sometimes people don't view their foods that way, but during peak week, I think they definitely need to be viewed that way. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to show up on show day. And you need a flathead screwdriver, but all you brought was your Phillips head. You know, it's close, but it's not quite there, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for sure. In terms of, yeah, coming to the day of the show itself, what are some troubleshooting techniques you'll use if someone, say, comes in a little spilled or a little flat? Um, the first time I'm peaking somebody, I've been like this since the day I started coaching. I do not spill them. I, I will, I will bring them in. It is better to bring somebody in flat as hell than spilled yeah. <laughs> because um, a fl- as long as you've kept water high and sodium potassium within reasonable ranges for most people, even like, let me put it this way. Even if you depleted them, right. Mm-hmm. You just depleted and kept water high and sodium potassium within reasonable ranges, they're still going to look very crisp and, you know, flat, but pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say make damn sure you do not spill them. Mm. Um, and now I do think that there are, 
<clears throat> now when I say spill, like there are um, varying degrees, right? Uh, so <clears throat> there's a level of spill that I would deem an acceptable amount of spill. So what I say by that is um, sometimes when you're coaching somebody, uh, you can get a little bit of extra fullness by uh, really pushing the limits. And sometimes, depending on the class the person is in or how they tend to hold their body fat distribution, mm -hmm. you might actually be a little bit better getting some extra fullness by giving up a little bit of crispness. Mm -hmm. um, examples of that would be, um, you know, even if we're talking about natural competitors, I have a lot of natural competitors compete in the NPC and even the IFBB. Um, the NPC and the IFBB value fullness much more than the natural federations. Hmm. So when I peak somebody for NPC and IFBB shows, I'm not going for maximum crispness. I'm going for maximum fullness. And there are times where I will actually ever so slightly give up a little bit of conditioning for the additional fullness. Hmm. Um, so, um, I would say, even though it's technically like a little bit of spilling taking place, if it's calculated in the terms of the look you're trying to achieve, you know what I mean? Like, then you can try that. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, with that said, um, but if, if somebody does spill or you think that maybe you would like to tighten them up a little bit, um, first and foremost, stop eating carbs. <laughs> Sometimes I'll see people and they'll say, oh, I woke up spilled. But then they tell me how they continue to eat carbohydrates every two hours until stage time. I'm like, stop eating. You know, you've got to stop eating. Um, I would say uh, try to get a little sweat going. Go get a little bit of a pump. Uh, go for a walk. Uh, you know, try to get a little perspiration going because it can actually help to get some of that subcutaneous water out by getting a sweat going. Um, use those carbohydrates by getting some pump, getting some activity. Um, even a light jog can help. Um, just don't, don't go too crazy with it. Um, I wouldn't consume more sodium. If you're a little bit spilled, I would back off on the sodium. I would back off on all electrolytes. I, really, I would just stick to water at that point and probably even not a ton of it, but stick to water. Um, if you're flat, uh, I would say have liquid carbohydrates available. Um, you don't want to waste time with digestion. Yeah. But having something like Gatorade ready to go just in case you're flat, um, you'd be surprised. That, you know, I usually like to have my clients wake up maybe six hours before stage time. Um, and, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you're kind of flat, uh, consuming 50, 60 grams of carbohydrates first thing in the morning, six hours before stage time really gets your day going in the right direction. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Those will be assimilated pretty quickly. And then you can even do it again, maybe 45 minutes later. Uh, and then before you know it, you've got a hundred grams in you and it's going to be there probably by stage time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. That's a good point about, yeah, the spilled part where it's a lot harder to fix something, someone when they're spilled rather than flat in terms yeah. of, yeah. Another thing in terms of uh, show day, you know, do you do anything for vascularity? Like some people talk about, you know, taking sodium just before. Yeah, usually I'll have people do something like a half teaspoon of sodium about 45 minutes before stage time. Mm -hmm. I also like to have people have some caffeine uh, around that time too. Okay. Um, ca caffeine being beneficial, you know, sometimes caffeine can 
get some of it raises your blood pressure up gets your veins popping out a little bit mm. and uh and also caffeine is a mild diuretic which can sometimes kind of squeeze out a little bit of subcutaneous water uh you know heading in there so a little bit of caffeine not enough to where you're going to be like shaking on stage but you know just a little bit could be helpful um but other than that i don't do a whole lot I, i'll usually do like a little bit of a mixture of like maybe some gatorade some caffeine and some sodium before stage drink it down and then then get it on out there mm-hmm. yeah no sounds good it's pretty simple i think yeah kind of wrapping up here in just a couple interesting you know scenarios any considerations for someone who might be competing on back-to-back weekends yes uh first of all back-to-back weekends hate to say it or go that from the night after the first show it's probably the area where i see people go wrong mm. most often um what i would say you could probably have after that first show is um maybe like a steak and a potato at a steakhouse or something like that mm-hmm. um but you don't want to consume something with too much sodium and you don't want to consume something with too many carbohydrates because you're already full and then you want to spill yourself again. Mm. Uh, in back-to-back weekends, I don't think that problematic. You know, you can run your first peak week however you feel is best. And then you can sort of reset by beginning the deplete again on Sunday. You know, maybe deplete Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, load Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or something like that. Mm. Or deplete Sunday, Monday, and then build up tuesday in slow fashion does that make sense mm-hmm. um so the only thing i would recommend is that if somebody's doing a lot of shows in a year when i say a lot like some people that's three almost everyone that's four plus um be careful about do, doing too many depletes mm. uh too many depletes will wear on somebody's physique they mm. will start to look a little bit stringy I usually don't like to deplete somebody ever more than three times in a year. Okay. Um, so there are times where I'll peak somebody, you know, multiple times. And uh, if we're doing four shows or something like that, uh, or three shows in three weeks um, on maybe one of those, I will not deplete them. And we will run some other version of a peak where I don't deplete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, it sounds good. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense where when you're when you run into extremes with macros like that. And then I guess last thing, just very briefly, how do you run training? Training is probably the most besides water for naturals, probably the most simple variable. Yeah, Um, because what you're trying to achieve. Each person is pretty similar. And the way in which you achieve it is also pretty similar. So it's, it's super easy, in my opinion, is that mm-hmm. um, you just need to reduce training. You want enough training to facilitate glycogen storage, um, but not so much that you're inflamed. You want to reduce your inflammation and overall physical stress in the final week. So usually, usually I help people take off the weekend before, no training on Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, something like legs, uh you know tuesday something like you know back and biceps wednesday chest triceps you know shoulders traps thursday and then maybe a light whole body circuit usually uh most days it'll be about 70 percent of what they normally do in terms of volume and load and mm-hmm. then the day before the show with the light circuit two sets per muscle group maybe 50 percent of your normal load very light very easy once again just dialing back 
Um, very, I, I run something very similar for almost everybody. And I know that's conf- controversial to say, but it's like um, most people need something similar in that regard. And I find that if I can keep it similar to what I do for each person, um, I'm not doing anything wild with training. So that way it's one less variable that I have to worry about from person to person. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like it. Yeah. Keep things simple and it doesn't need to be anything crazy happening. Yeah. You're, you're not growing that week, you know? So it's like, uh, <laughs> it, we're not trying to grow at all. So it doesn't need to be this like really uh, intense or crazy setup type thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's been a really cool conversation and always fun to go down the rabbit hole with the bodybuilding and contest prep. What's going on in terms of uh, this book that you're writing Cliff? Yeah. Yeah. I got a new, I got a new book coming out. Uh, It took me forever to write. Um, I I had been battling some health issues the last few years. And so I was picking away at it as I was uh, healthy enough to do so. And uh, yeah, I kind of consider this the second part of my first book. Um, it may be, some people may be surprised because it's not a bodybuilding book at all. Um, it's every, um, it's kind of a combination of psychology and every mindset tactic that I try to instill in my clients. Um, and it's not like, it's not like one of those real rah-rah motivational books. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I know people like those, but to me, I feel like those are very surface level type things where it's like, you can get out there and do it. Um, my book is more about self-analysis and like, do you even want to get out there and do it? You know, think about that. <laughs> and so, um, and so, um, but a lot of time with my clients trying to instill in them a philosophy that has good and sound psychological practices, um, focuses on building their motivation and their confidence and their discipline. And uh, I even use a, a, a phrase called titration. Um, how do they titrate themselves as an individual, as well as the path they take. And um, I view it as a, a personality trait. And I, I work with each client on how to build these up. And I would say it's every bit as much part of what I do with my clients as training and diet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I decided to write an entire book on it. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it, to this day, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of that I've written, um, nice. because I think it's going to be stuff that the bodybuilding world is not used to, but desperately needs. So, um, hopefully people will like it. We'll see. It's not a bodybuilding book, so hopefully they'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super excited to see that come out. And for anyone who hasn't already read it, Cliff wrote a book on contest prep called the complete contest preparation handbook and contains a lot of really valuable nuggets for contest prep. So definitely check it out. And thanks again for being on the show. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. I am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one coaching. I'm not cheap, but if you are really serious about taking your physique to the next level, DM me the word coaching on Instagram. For more science-based bodybuilding content, look up Dr. Swole on YouTube, and we'll see you next time.